Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you all know that the stories in the Old Testament are largely about Israel. And Paul is talking about Israel, 1 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 11 as he talks to us about the value of studying the Old Testament. He says, now, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, now these things happened to them, that's Israel, as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, in light of this truth, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and common to Israel as well in this context. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved flee from idolatry. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 14. This is the value of studying the entire Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And as we move into chapter 14, let me just give you a few highlights of what's occurred so far. Abram's been given this incredible promise in Genesis 12. God has promised to bless him. He says, I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. And Abram, who will become Abraham, is walking in the promises. And he has a little blunder when he goes down to Egypt, he tells a half lie about his wife. There's a famine in the land, and he, he's basically escorted to the border of Egypt, and he goes back into the land of Canaan, and he revisits a place where he had set up an altar sometime before that. This is found in Genesis 13. If you look at verse 4, it says, he came to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And we pointed out last time we were together that sometimes it's really good to revisit places where you set up altars. Altars have to do with worship, maybe uh, really important turning points in your life. Uh, it could be a time, it could be a place. It could be a routine where you're really getting back to your Bible and you decided to make your Bible and prayer and worship a priority. That's always something that we should get back to. And then... Um, there's this whole disagreement between Lot and the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram, and they split. And Abram gives Lot the option, and Lot looks over to the Jordan Valley, and it's green, and it looks lovely, and he chooses that. And Lot made a very poor decision. He should have deferred to Uncle Abram, but he didn't. And Lot took off with all that he had, and Abram went in the other direction. And God had him walk the land, and Abram literally went on walkabout. Do you remember that? So that whole Australian thing comes from the Bible as well. And God told him, every step that you take is yours. Every time you step and you take a, a, another step in my promises, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours. And God said, look everywhere, look in every direction. It all belongs to you. Even what you think you gave away is yours. This is the beauty of the promises of God. And the chapter ends in these words, Abram, this is 13, 18, moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there, notice the chapter ends that he built an altar, another altar to the Lord. An altar is a place of worship. This leads us into the battle and the blessings, Genesis 14. And it came about in these days, in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, 
Chedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. Now, you're going to see a lot of challenging names that uh, you could read along with me and you can critique my pronunciation of them. There is a secret. I'll let you in on a secret. If you go to Blue Letter Bible, there's an audio option on Blue Letter Bible. And if you're in a chapter and you're teaching a Bible study and you read some names and you're like, I have absolutely no clue how to pronounce that, go to Blue Letter Bible, click on, I want to listen to the Bible, and you'll hear an announcer in a very slow and deep voice say, King Chedorlaomer. <laughs> Now, I did do some historical research on Cheddar Laomer, and I found out that this is the origin of cheddar cheese and what? <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. It's really not. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but here's these kings. So the Bible's narrative takes us from Abram's altar to a time of war, from worship to war. And I had pointed out two altars in Genesis chapter 13, and all of a sudden we're going to have the first, cre uh, the first um, record that I know of of a war in history where there was ac actually military maneuvering and uh, battle. And this is early. This is Genesis 14. And it, and it seems like, you know, when you think about how life goes, it, it feels like sometimes you're at that altar and worship's going really well and things are going cool in your life, and then a battle emerges. And we are in a battle. You all know we're in a spiritual battle. It's recorded in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I've written a book on this. It's called Suit Up, Put On the Full Armor of God. And after about 25 <laughs> revisions and whatever, it's going to come out soon. And I'm hoping that's going to be a blessing to you. But we're in a spiritual battle, and we want to be people of worship, but we find the world, the flesh, the devil, all these things war against our souls. Even our own desires sometimes come up and bite us. And these kings mentioned in verse one are an international coalition of four Eastern kings. Just, just in summary, they are from the area of the Euphrates River. And they are headed by this uh, Chedorlaomer character. And they, they uh, are about around an Abrams day. And in Abrams day, regular raids apparently were conducted. And what people groups started to do in these early days is they started to try to take over territory. And if they dominated a city-state area, they would basically put in a vassal king or they would make that king of that area uh, uh, bidden to them or to pay tribute to them. And so, you know, if you, if you all, uh, when you study the Bible and you realize that when you study the days of Jesus that Israel's under Roman occupation, that's the parallel. These groups of kings or coalitions of kings would come into cities, states, or towns. They would dominate them. They would say, now you're going to pay us taxes or tribute, and we're over you. You may be the king of this town, but ultimately we're in charge. And this is how they did things. And so these eastern kings from the Euphrates River area, and Shinar is from the area of uh, modern-day uh, modern Iraq or ancient Babylon or Mesopotamia, uh, they, they were on the attack. And so this is the days of these particular kings. They made war, look at verse 2, with Bera, king of Sodom. That's the area where Lot had gone to. With Bersha, king of Gomorrah. With Shinab, king of Admah. And Shemember, king of Zeboim. And the king, who's unnamed here, of Bela, that is Zoar. So you've got five kings that are listed there. And these areas you can uh, check on your study Bibles. But 
You have kings from the, the eastern region and kings from the, what's called the Transjordan area. All of these came as allies to the Valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. When you see the Salt Sea, sometimes it may be rendered the Dead Sea. The Jews call the Dead Sea the Sea of Salt. They don't call it the Dead Sea because the Sea of Salt is not dead. It actually has fish in it, and it has about a 34% mineral content. And if you walk into the Sea of Salt, it's pretty interesting in Israel, in southern Israel, because the Sea of Salt has such heavy mineral content that it looks like a normal ocean from a distance. But if you go, if you walk in there, it feels totally slimy and yucky. And if you lay down, and if you got a newspaper and you just lay down in the salt sea, you will float. You don't need those little, you know, dealy bobs that you put on the kids, or you don't even need a raft. You will actually float on the sea of salt. And they have what's called dead sea products that they ship all over the world now. And the ladies like to put it on their face. And they say, and it doesn't make you dead, <laughs> but here's what happens. So, so if you put this on you, it's supposed to make your skin like baby skin. And if you stay in the sea of salt for about 15 minutes, you will come out and you'll have marvelous skin. The problem with the sea of salt is if you stay in there too long, and I'm speaking literally now, it will suck the life out of you completely. And it's down in this area where all of this stuff is happening. And the marker or the location geographically is the, for this Valley of Siddim is the Sea of Salt. There are some who say the Valley of Siddim ties um, to the Valley of the Kings, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. So all these came as allies. So the guys that were being attacked got together, and they're, they're in the southern part of the state, if you will, or the, the country, and they decided, you know what, we're tired of being bullied. We're tired of these, these kings from the east messing with us. 12 years for they had served uh, the guy who made the cheddar cheese, Cheddar Leomer. But the 13th year, they rebelled. And their rebellion was probably something like this. We're not going to send them tribute or taxes anymore. So these, these kings that dominated these areas were basically a, a threat of war loomed over you, but they didn't necessarily hang out or have headquarters in your town. But they would get the message if you stopped sending the money. And so finally, these guys got together, these kings, and they said, we're not going to send tribute anymore. And they knew what that meant. What that meant was we're waiting for an attack because sooner or later, troops are going to come because we're not paying the money anymore and there's going to be war. And so this is what occurred in the 13th year. They dealt with it. They served this king for 12 and they had had enough. And in the 14th year, here's the attack. Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him came and defeated the Rephaim and Ashtoreth Carmain uh, and the Zuzim in Ham and the Emmim in Shaveh Karathaim and the Horites in, uh, in their Mount Seir as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered all the country of the Amalekites. They did not exist at this time, but they existed when Moses was writing. And also the Amorites, which became the Canaanites, who lived in Hazazan Tamar, verse 8. And the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the, the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, came out. And they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Siddim. Against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elessar, four kings against five. So the bell's about to ring, it's time for war. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. 
And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. And they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed. For he, Lot, was living in Sodom. And this is largely why the story is told, because of what's happening to Lot and Abram will be about, is about to be involved. Now, some of you may be reading your Bible right now, and you might be thinking, do these places really exist? Chedorlaomer and, you know, Zeboim and these weird names. Did somebody just come up with this stuff, or is this really real? Did it really happen? The higher critics of the 19th century said that the history and genesis of Abram and other patriarchs was pure mythology, But in the 20th century, much written material was discovered from Ur, Babylon, Nutsi, Mari, Alala, Ugarit, and Bog Hazakoi that contained laws, customs, religious practices, names, and social settings already known to us from the book of Genesis. Of special relevance to Genesis 14 are the recent finds of Tel Mardik in Syria, the site of ancient Ebla, between 1974 and 19, uh, I think it's 77 or 76, approximately 20,000 cuneiform tablets were discovered among the remains of the ancient metropolis. Listen to this. A number of these had at least an indirect bearing on biblical history. In that, uh, in that early biblical names were discovered such as Jehovah, Abram, Esau, David, Saul, Michael, and Israel. They occur in abundance. Moreover, there were place names among these tablets, including possibly even the very cities mentioned in Genesis 14. One of the early examiners of the Ebla tablets, Giovanni uh, Petanato, sounds like an Italian guy, claimed that all five towns, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, Bela, or Zoar, are mentioned in the precise biblical order in the archaeological discoveries. The 19th century higher critics said these places don't exist, they're mythology, and then archaeology dug them up and said, ah, Mr. Skeptic, this is historical, this is archaeological, this is evidence, and then the skeptics just go on to the next thing they're going to criticize. Nelson Gluick, a leading archaeologist of this area of the Middle East, uh, the world, investigated this area thoroughly. He reported these words, this is his own words, and I don't believe he was a Christian. He said, quote, I found that every village in their path of the four eastern kings had been plundered and left in ruins. The countryside laid waste. The population had been wiped out or led away into captivity. For hundreds of years thereafter, the entire area was like an abandoned cemetery, hideously unkempt, with all its monuments shattered and strewn pieces on the ground, close quote. These kings of the east unleashed their fury and devastated many of these towns, and they're called tells today. And what happens with a tell is that cities were built upon cities and they're called tells. So what happens is you have to dig sometimes to find a city underneath a city in archaeology. So sometimes it's not evidence right on the top surface, if you will, but you start doing digs and you find that ancient cities and some of the, what they left behind are underneath existing cities. It's called a tell or a mount, if you will. And so they've dug up stuff like this over and over again. Nelson Gluck was famous to say that every time the spade of the, the shovel of the archaeologist turns over, they find another thing that proves the Bible. 
and another thing that proves the Bible. In fact, he says of all that he discovered in the Middle East, he didn't find one archaeological discovery that controverted the biblical record, not one. And they found thousands and thousands and thousands of clay tablets and, and uh, writings and all of these buttress or support what the Bible teaches. And you can have confidence in your Bible. So here's what takes place now. And a fugitive, with these kings fleeing and these tar pits and all that's going on, a fugitive came. Some, some had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, the first place in the Bible, by the way, where he's called a Hebrew, now, he was living by the Oaks of Mamre, and, and Abram had to be well-known. He had many riches at this point, many servants, and he was living by the Oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkol, the brother of Aner, and these were allies with Abram. So Abram not only had a lot under his own possession, but he had allies as well. And a sole survivor you know, ran to the mountains and then tracked down Abram, the Hebrew, and shared with him what had occurred. And I'm sure he reported that your nephew Lot, I'm sure it was well known that there was a relationship between these two well-to-do men, has been taken. He has been kidnapped by these kings from the east who are devastating the land. What should a man of God do in such an instance as this? Your nephew's been taken captive. You know that you've got to respond in some way. What would you do? This brings up a question about should believers be involved in war? Is there a time to fight? Is there a time to fight a despot? Is there a time to fight someone who is killing a bunch of Christians? Is there a time for what has been sometimes called just war theory, that there's a time when the righteous must step up and do something and not just sit there? Abram could have come up with excuses. One could have been, maybe this is God's punishment on Lot. You know, I'm a spiritual man, Abram might say, and I've got my tents here and I'm good and these guys aren't attacking me and after all, nephew Lot basically didn't defer to me and he was unspiritual and he, he didn't do things properly. Too bad. He could have done that. Or he could have said, you know what, I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm walking in the promises of God. I don't, I don't want to go to war. But Abram's going to respond and in fact, he's going to be blessed for what he does. So with all that we would wrestle through, I think at least this needs to be considered in how we deal with these issues. When Abraham, Abram heard that his relative, verse 14, had been taken captive, he led out his trained men born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan, which is the northern border of Israel. Scholars say that Abram went about 120 miles to pursue these kings and to try to track down his nephew. That's quite a commitment, 120 miles of travel to try to run down, and he had 318 trained men. In fact, uh, if you read commentaries on this, commentators will say that Abram had his own trained militia in his household, 318 trained men. Now, we need more trained men, but I'm not talking about just training in that sense. I'm talking about trained men, amen? Amen. I'm talking about men who know how to battle spiritually. I'm talking about men who are good leaders of their households. I'm talking about men who say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need more of that. Would you agree? We do. Sometimes you talk to a lot of ladies who who their husbands are missing in action. They don't know how to battle in the ultimate sense. And so there was a pursuit, and he divided up his forces against them by night, verse 15, 
he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus, and now we're moving into Syria, so maybe you know, several more miles now, and this is recorded as being north of Damascus, so the victory is won. Notice a stealth mission, it's by night. Abram and his servants, and they defeated them, I don't know how many people, but I'm sure they were probably outnumbered, and they put them on the run, and they pursued them, and defeated them, and the victory was won. This was Abram risking everything to save his nephew, Lot. What would you do for a family member? Are we our brother's keeper? Cain said of Abel that he wasn't. God said, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What have you done? Well, apparently Abram believed that he was the keeper of his nephew. And even though it wasn't always smooth with Lot, and there's going to be more problems with Lot, Abram went after him. Verse 16, he brought back all the goods, also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. Notice the repetition of brought back. It almost reminds me of the idea of being redeemed. Redemption is to be bought back. He brought back all that was taken into captivity, all that would have been a terrible life and future and maybe even death. And I'm sure it was a joyous homecoming. Look at, there's the goods, there's the relative lot, there's the possessions, there's the women and the people. And I'm sure it was quite a caravan back from Syria, back into Israel and heading now down towards, from the north, you know, in Galilee, towards the holy city down in the south, which is the area of Jerusalem. And I'm sure they were dancing. I'm sure that they were rejoicing. I'm sure Abram felt pretty good, wouldn't you? A stealth mission at night, 318 of your trained men. You don't know for sure what's going to happen, but you take the risk, you're courageous, and you win the victory. And down you go, and all these people have to be so grateful. And there's got to be a party as they're going down, and everything's wonderful, and all the people are rejoicing, patting Abram on the back. Then after his return from the defeat of Chedor Leomer and the kings who were with him, 17, the king of Sodom, now I don't know what happened to the king of Sodom. I don't know if he fell into the tar pits and escaped. I don't know if this could be another king. I don't know if he was taken captive and rescued. But the king of Sodom went out to meet him, that is to meet Abram, at the valley of Shavah. That is the king's valley. The king's valley, many people believe, is the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is a little valley that runs between the Mount of Olives and what's known as the Temple Mount. And it's not a very, very wide area. In fact, it's just a handful of steps to walk across parts of the Kidron. But the Kidron Valley was known as the place where when they sacrificed in the area of the temple, the blood of the sacrifices ran into that valley. And it was also, it was also known as a valley that was filled with blood. It's that Kidron Valley that Jesus crossed over into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is located on the kind of the base of the Mount of Olives, the night before he died. Uh, in Psalm 23, it says, even though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So there's some connection here with the Kidron and the blood of the sacrifices and Jesus the night before he died going into the Mount of Olives. And here's where this whole thing occurs now, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shavah. This grateful king 
And all of a sudden, on the heels of the victory, on the heels of a, a beautiful, uh, a wonderful, courageous act, the king of Sodom all of a sudden approaches Abram. In Melchizedek, verse 18, king of Salem, so you have Sodom and Salem represented, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high in Hebrew, that's El Elyon. So here's Abram returning from this great victory, trust God, saves his nephew, all these people, and all of a sudden the king of Sodom comes up. Now the king of Sodom, we, we've already learned from Genesis 13 that Sodom's already this terribly wicked place. I'm sure the king is wicked as well. He rules over the place after all. Greetings, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio. I'm sitting here with Pastor Michael, and right now, you just listened to a study in Genesis chapter 14. Now, Pastor Michael, I do have a question. Flipping back to Genesis chapter 12, we have God speaking to Abram, and first thing he says is, leave your country, leave your family, and leave your father's house. I just want you and your wife, Sarai, to leave. I'm going to show you a place to where I want you to trust me. Now, in chapter 14, as we just listened to the study, we have a situation in which Abram goes off to rescue his nephew, Lot. We had a group of kings that got together and went over to the land of Sodom and enslaved all these people and took them over. And one of the people that got caught up in all this was Lot, Abram's nephew. Somebody had escaped all this and went directly to Abram and informed him exactly what had happened. My question is, is that Abram being human, would this situation still involve Abram if, his, if he didn't take his uh, nephew Lot with him and he did listen entirely to God and trust him and do the first thing he should have done in the first place? Yeah. Well, you know, Oscar, it's, it's a good application point because partial obedience is something that we're all pretty famous for, right? Yes. You know, when we really break down our Christian life, the question is, are we truly obedient? And what does what an obedient life look like? Well, it's that you hear God's word and you heed it. The opening of the book of Revelation says, blessed are those who hear, you know, read, hear, and heed the words of this prophecy. If you want a blessed life, you got to do really all three. You got to take the word of God in, but then do something with it. Blessed is the one who hears and keeps the word of God, Jesus would say in the New Testament. So it seems like, you know, in these stories, Oscar, you can read between the lines and, you know, you're not always wanting to be dogmatic on the whether or not uh, Abram failed in this case, because mm -hmm. the, the flip side of this is that he could have said, well, you know what, Lot, you chose that area. You knew it was a troublesome area. Maybe this is the judgment of God on your life. I'm not going to risk my household or my hired servants or even people who are you know, trained militarily, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave you to your own devices. But Abram doesn't do that. So I think on one hand, Oscar, you raise a good point. Partial obedience are lots in life, if you want to put it that way, always catch up with us one way or the other, right? It catches up with us. We, we either lose opportunities or we have to do extra stuff that, you know, to dig ourselves out of holes. I, I think that's it. But Giving the benefit of the doubt to Abram, I think it is something that he pursued Lot. They had to go a great distance to go rescue him, and he did uh, rescue him. And I think that is uh, that shows us something about Abram's character. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona 
or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.